0: Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Genesis 28, I want to look at an awesome God who is worthy of faithful obedience this morning on Thanksgiving Weekend, You know, it's a holiday that affords us the regular opportunity of what we are reminded we ought to be about every day, right? Giving thanks to the one who is worthy of our thanks and to recognize the awesomeness of God in that. And I was reminded this year in our celebration, probably more than ever before, that Thanksgiving is not primarily about giving thanks for all things, but giving thanks In all things, to the one who alone is worthy. And that's Jesus Christ. He is worthy of our all. And so today, I want to talk a little bit about how we can give our all for the glory of His name. And I want you to see this that God calls people to salvation in Jesus Christ so that through our faithful obedience, we can glorify Him with our whole life. We're going to look at three aspects of faithful obedience today. Obedience to God's awesomeness, and you'll see why I use that specific term. Here, but three aspects of faithful obedience to God's awesomeness on this weekend. And we're going to do it by going back to Genesis where we've been studying. We're going to look at the life of two brothers, Jacob and Esau, whom we've been looking at the last few weeks. And we're going to see their lives go in separate directions. They've been preparing for this, but today we see them distinctively move in two separate directions. And to begin with, I want us to see today the first aspect of this life altering introduction. This first aspect of our faithful obedience as a life altering introduction. Genesis chapter 28, I'm gonna read the first nine verses as we begin. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. And take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May He give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. And he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today and the pronunciation of it where that is necessary. I want to begin with three aspects of faithful obedience to God's awesomeness and the first one being a life-altering introduction. Isaac calls Jacob in to bless him and to send him to find a wife. Now, to understand what's transpiring here in the last two chapters, we saw where uh, uh, Rebekah schemed to help Jacob steal the blessing from his father. and, And that was a successful deception, you might say. I don't know that any deception is successful, but they successfully deceived him. And because of that, Esau got very angry and and transpired in his heart to kill him he he desired to to kill his brother because his anger and bitterness towards him had had so boiled over in his life and so when Rebecca learned of Esau's plan she devised a, a second plan to send Jacob away so that his life would be safe and that's where we find ourselves today so Jacob, who's been convinced by his, excuse me, so Isaac, who's been convinced by his wife, Rebekah, to send Jacob away, calls him in and blesses him and, and sends him back to the family so that he can take a wife from his own people. Now, here's the thing that, that becomes so, can become confusing to us. What's transpiring is actually the will of God that, that that they would not intermarry with the people of that land. This was God's command and will for them. But the way it was being carried out and the purposes for which it was being carried out were not of God at all. It was people manipulating and striving and trying to accomplish things in their own efforts. Jacob receives the blessing from his father Isaac understands what he's to do, and Isaac speaks God's blessing over him. He reminds him of all that God will do, and then he sends him away. And verse 5 records for us that Jacob left. Very simple, very matter-of-fact, very straightforward. He left and did as he was told. There was no question. There was no comment. He just went. And so with the blessing of God, Jacob trusted to obey Isaac. Very simple, very straightforward. No words from Jacob, only obedience. Well, Esau is watching and he's listening. So we understand this, that though he and Rebecca didn't have a great relationship, he had picked up a few cues from her because we'd seen she was so good at doing that as well to try and control everything that was taking place. And Esau, who could never get over what he felt like he had not accomplished, watched what transpired with Jacob, what he was told, and how he obeyed, and Esau decided he would try to appease his parents as well and go and get his own blessing for himself. And what better time to do so than now that the house is empty. Jacob's not here anymore. They'll have plenty to give to me. So he went to another part of his family to take a wife for his own. He goes to Abraham's other son, Ishmael, and takes a wife from his family, And again, we see Esau's attempt to accomplish what he had most hoped, to be blessed, and yet he only failed. You see, it's not that God didn't want to bless him, but Esau wouldn't allow himself to be blessed. Why? Because he would never accept God's will for his life. He always subverted God's will with his own plan, what he was trying to do. Jacob surely was not perfect by far as we've seen. But when he was told to go and to take a wife, the simplicity with which he went is the most notable aspect of the story because even in Esau's observation, he saw, verse 7, that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone. That's the observation that Esau made. Jacob trusted to obey. So Esau, who was trying to measure up, who didn't entertain what was said to him, but rather took what was said to Jacob because that was the blessing he wanted, what someone else had. He heard what was said and he tried to do it in his own way. He was bent on earning his own blessing and he tried to accomplish it in his own strength. He wanted to impress his parents. He wanted to earn their love and to earn their acceptance. You see, in this life-altering introduction here, friends, where we see two brothers go in two divergently different directions, we see the very thing that many use themselves to approach God. They approach God by believing that they must earn His love, that that they have to in some way prove themselves to God or or more likely prove themselves to someone that they see as someone God likes. Or so often we say, well, I don't have to prove myself. I just want to improve. I just want to make one little thing better. And I know when I do that that the people that I think God loves will love me and surely that will make me more lovable before God. And that's one of the principal ways we do it. We, we try to replicate what we see others doing in order to impress those from whom we're seeking approval or whom we're seeking acceptance. But friends, this is not how God works. Yes, God calls us as disciple makers and being made as disciples of Jesus Christ. God calls us, as Paul says, to follow me as I follow Christ. And so there is a model that we have in other Christ followers and an example that we glean from them to understand how it is that we follow Christ. But in disciple making and and in the church of, of being made as a disciple, we're not trying to replicate what we see someone else do so that we can earn their approval, but we learn how it is that we live by faith in following Jesus so that we can honor God. It's out of that approval and that acceptance from God that we live. But what Esau's doing here is he's taking what looks like godliness and he's subverting it for his own reason because he doesn't believe he's gotten what he deserves. He doesn't believe he lives out of the love that's already been set on him from God. And so he's trying to earn it. He's trying to prove himself. He's trying to improve himself. He's done this time and time and time again as a self-made man and every time it's failed, but not this time, he thinks. And how familiar that is for so many of us. You see, friends, God does not call someone to live out another person's obedience. God does not call you to live like so-and-so so so I can love you. But rather, God calls us to trust him that he is with us. Us. Listen to the personal nature of us. This is why God sent Jesus. Why? Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Friends, this is a life-altering introduction. Recognizing the, the awe of God begins by us simply trusting in this simple truth. What truth is this? Here's the truth. There is nothing that we can do to earn God's love. Have you settled this in your own heart? Are you still trying to prove yourself to God by maybe proving yourself to someone that you think God is close to? God loves more than you. Are you laboring to improve yourself so you can get to where you get from God what you feel like you need from Him? There is nothing you can do to earn God's love. But listen, friends, there is nothing we must do to earn God's love. You see that? There's nothing inherent within us, within our nature, within our being, nor within our actions that demands God love us. But there need not be anything within us because God, who is love, does love you already. And friends, before you can make any kind of a commitment to God to go and do in His name for Him or otherwise, you must settle your heart deeply in this life-altering introduction. This is what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion in the history of all humanity. We do nothing to get to God, but we must do nothing because He has come to us. God... Already loves you. Let that soak in for a moment. God already loves you. He loves you in the height of your accomplishment. He loves you in the depth of your defeat and failure. He loves you at your best. He loves you at your worst. Because none of those things beckon Him to love you. God loves you because He is love. And friends, When we look at Jacob and Esau. Jacob had a lot of problems. And we can identify with Jacob in a lot of ways. But he did this. He just rested and accepted it. Esau. He just couldn't get there. He wouldn't let himself get there. And I'm asking you today. Have you gotten there? Have you settled this in your heart? This life altering introduction. That you cannot do anything. To earn God's love. To gain God's love. But you need do nothing. God already loves you. Are you trying to earn. To prove or improve. So you can be accepted by your striving. You will never get there. And that's why Esau was a bitter. Angry person. Because there was something lacking. That he couldn't get for himself. And that thing. Was a person. It was God, but he wouldn't let himself receive it. Are you trying to live out a relationship with God only by replicating what you see others who you think are loved by God or close to God? What you see them do and thinking in some way that'll bring some feeling of God's love on you? Or in complete surrender, have you just said to God, God, I believe that you've sent Jesus to love me and to show me your love for me and I want to receive him. God wants you to trust him, friends. Salvation is about a relationship with him. First and foremost, from beginning to end, it's never more because there is no more, it's never less. He loves you and he wants to walk, listen to me, not by giving you something, but with you. That's the essence of salvation. God with us. That's what we celebrate in this season of the year. Emmanuel, God with us. God came to us. He didn't just send something to us. He didn't throw something in the sky down to us from heaven. He came. He took on flesh and blood. And He wants to walk with us to live out His perfect will through our life. Because He is in us. Our life. This is a life-altering introduction. And I don't know what you've come to know about God. I don't know what you believe about Him. But I'm telling you, if it's anything other than this, we love because He first loved us. That you need do nothing because you can do nothing. But God already loves you. If it's anything other than this, it is not of the Scriptures. It is not of God. And we call you today to turn away from that and to accept. To trust so you can rest in this simple, profound, life-altering truth. Because God loves us, He comes to us. The second aspect of how we walk in faithful obedience to the awesomeness of God is a life-changing revelation. Go back to verse 10 in Genesis 28 and let me read the next five or six verses Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Stop there for a moment. Friends, listen. The reason that God wants you to understand his life-altering introduction is because he wants to present you with a life-changing revelation. Jacob comes to a place that is familiar to him, not because he's been there before, but because God has made his promise to his grandfather there before, Abraham. And he rests for the night. He doesn't understand his familiarity with the place, but he is about to. God appears to him in a dream. And in this dream, a ladder that stretches from earth to heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. And at the top of it, to the side, the Lord himself appears to Jacob. And he tells him who he is. And he shares with him the promise that he now transfers to Jacob that he has given to his father Isaac and to his grandfather Abraham. Why is this important to Jacob? Because Jacob's whole life has been lived under the influence of his father and his grandfather's faith. That the promise that Jacob had came to him through his father and through his grandfather. But what God is telling him is what God tells each and every one of us, that a legacy of faith is so important for our life, but it is not sufficient for eternal salvation. God's saying, Jacob, I'm not just the God of your father Abraham, I'm not just the God of your father Isaac, I am your God. And I have come to you, to have a personal relationship with you. He blesses him with the same promise that he has given to Abraham and to Isaac. He promises to be with him, and then he assures him that everything he has promised, he will do. You see, the blessing of Abraham is given to Jacob, and that's what he will recognize in just a moment in this. But the revelation that Jacob understands is not just, this is the faith of my fathers, but this is the faith of my life. The faith of my life. And all the fullness of the promise and the provision of God comes with it. In this dream, heaven opens up and comes down. That's what the ladder and the angels mean. And you know what God didn't do? God did not invite Jacob to climb the ladder. Aren't you thankful for that? I am. I hate heights. Man, I mean, I hate them. And, and, you know, like, like I don't do them at all. And when I have to, I keep my eyes closed because that keeps me on the ground, at least in my mind. I don't do heights. But listen, even more important than that is Jacob is reminded yet again by God, getting to heaven is not about what you will be able to accomplish. It's about what I'm about doing. Heaven was opened up And it invited Jacob to enter in. Jacob was blessed as Abraham. Can you imagine that? Looking at all the blessing of his father and his grandfather and the family lineage that he enjoyed and understanding it is now to me. He tells us that in this blessing that the covenant of God, the salvation that we have from God is not just for a person, but it is for every person who will believe and trust in him and the blessing and the promise of God's covenant to Abraham reveals his salvation that is even for us today. God is the one who comes to us to save us in Jesus Christ, to live in us by his holy spirit and to make us more like him. And one day we shall spend all eternity in heaven. With him, Listen, friends, what you are learning in a life-changing revelation about the life of Jacob here is true for everyone who by faith trusts in Jesus Christ today. God is laying the foundation for what He will bring ultimate revelation to in Jesus Christ. And God's revelation of His covenant... I want to outline it for you in three statements so that we understand it. First of all, that the promise of God which he gave to Jacob is secured by the presence of God. God did not send his messenger as he does at other times and very important times. But for his covenant, he comes. And it's secured by his presence. God came to reveal himself to Jacob. It was the Lord that stood At the latter. It was not an epiphany, it was a theophany. It was not something that looked like, it was the actual being himself, Jesus Christ. And this is the critical truth of his covenant, friends. It's not just that God comes, but he comes to you and he invites you. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to you today. It is God who is with you, it is God who is before you today. We don't have to try to earn our way. He's not calling you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He's not calling you to climb up a little better and closer to Him so that He can reach you. He's saying, I am here for you. You can stop your striving. You can stop your cheating. You can stop your swindling. You can cease your coveting to get all that you can because I am here for you and I will be all that you need. He tells us this, you can rest in me. And I hope you've gotten some good rest this Thanksgiving holiday because when we rest, we are what? Refreshed. And what God wants to do with the message of the gospel, this life-changing revelation of who he is and what he has come to do for you is he wants you to rest From the ceaseless striving of measuring up, accomplishing, and achieving in life. To simply trust in Him for what He is here to give to you. God's presence, friends, is what fulfills His promise. That's why in Ezekiel, the prophet, chapter 36, verse 26. When he's explaining the covenant of God, he says this. And these are the words of God, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. You see, God is promising his presence to those who trust in him. In other words, just as he appeared to Jacob on that day and said the blessing of God is for you, he's appearing to you today to say the blessing of God is for you, for each Of you. God comes to us to be with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So the promise of God is secured by his presence. But listen: the presence of God assures us of the sufficiency of the power of God. His presence tells us that his his power for us will be sufficient. God, who is with us, will be the one who is for us. And all that he promises to do is not your action step list, it is his accomplished list for you. Acts 1.8 reminds us of this when he says, but stay until you have been clothed with power upon high. And Verse 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What is Jesus teaching his disciples? He's teaching his disciples how the covenant works and what he's already said to Jacob in Genesis That my presence will assure you of the sufficiency of my power. Listen friends, when you feel powerless in life, all you need to do is go before God. And before you seek his power, just ask him to fill you with his presence. And there won't be any question about what he is sufficient to do for you. There won't be anything that stands in front of you. A situation, a circumstance, a a decision you need to make, a relationship, whatever the case is, what stands in front of you, you'll know that God is sufficient. He was powerful to do what He said He would do. Why? Because His presence assures us of His power. And the third aspect of, of this is that the sufficiency of His power makes certain the perfect completion of His work in you. He's with us, he is for us and sufficient, and he will finish it. He will finish it. That's what Philippians 1, 6 says. Paul says, I'm confident of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you, that's the work of salvation he's speaking of, will bring it to perfection, completion on the day of Jesus Christ. God has not forgotten you, Christian. He's not left you. He is working. Doesn't matter what it feels like. Doesn't matter what you've gone through recently. He is at work. And He has promised that He will bring it to perfection on the day of Jesus Christ. Friends, I ask you today, have you heard and believed this life-changing revelation from God? It's not only for a few, it's for all who will hear and believe, Christian, are you holding faithful to Jesus because he is the one who is faithfully holding you? You say, well, when my strength is gone, well, l- let me tell you something about weak faith. Weak faith never infers that God's power is weak. Weak faith just brings you to a point where you need God most and you need his best. And that's where he always produces in the moment. You see, it's not a matter of do you have enough faith. You just must simply believe. And in believing, even the man in the New Testament who confessed, help my unbelief, (laughs) said, I will. Why? Because he confessed it to him and he received. Weak faith just simply means you're at the point where God works most and best. Are you there? Have you heard the life-changing revelation of Jesus Christ? who's come for you, to do for you what you will never do for yourself, but to give to you everything that God has promised for you. The third aspect is this. Jacob responds. Go with me to verse 16. He wakes up. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Friends, there's been a a life-altering introduction. There's been a life-changing revelation. And here we see a life-transforming response of Jacob. He wakes up to a heightened attention to the Lord. The Lord is in this place. There were uh, hairs on the back of his neck, I've been told, that were raised at the very moment. That there was every... Attention tension in his body that was perfectly tuned to a presence that was not there before. And Jacob says this, I've heard a lot about you. But something about right now says something totally different than anything I've ever known before. I can remember the day that I was saved. Sitting in the back of the church because that's where we good people sat. I was 16, so much of my life had already been lived in a very familiar place. When God started speaking to my heart, I said, oh God, I know you. You know how many Bible verses I've memorized. You know how many Sunday school classes I've attended. And I've gone to camp every year. I've, I've, I've been to discipleship training. I even come on Wednesday nights. I'm here when nobody else is. Because my parents made me. But nonetheless, I'm here. I get credit for that, right? I know all about you. And yet, here's the thing that struck me. When the Lord showed up in a way that I had not known Him, He said this, Yes, you know a lot about me, but you don't know me. That's what I'm calling you to today. To know me. And I'm telling you, friends, it was a life-transforming life transforming Response. That's what's transpiring with Jacob. And so, out of this, he makes a whole life commitment that involves three parts. First of all, it tells us he made a personal confession of his faith. He woke up. He recognized God was doing something. He said, how awesome is this? This is, this is overwhelming, God. The awe of your presence here and what you're saying and what you're calling me to, what you're inviting me into is more than anything I've ever experienced. And he responds in this way. If God Will be with me and keep me. And he begins to list the very things that God has promised to him. And listen, this is not an if in the way that he's putting God to the test. But this is an if in confessing the things that he knows now to be true of God because of what is in his heart. He says, then God will be my God there comes a point in every person's life friends that moment that is life transforming when everything you know about God ceases to be principal in your life because the primary thing you come to understand is not something about him but simply to know him to know him and what we are being asked today is this do you know God you see confession is not merely a statement of fact or truth, but it is one of which you bring the whole of your life under the reality of. That's what a biblical confession is all about. That's why Romans chapter 10 verses 8 through 10 says this, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. You see how the confession aligns up with the conviction of the spirit that's taking place within And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, there is integrity between what you know to be true and what you say with your mouth. He says this, You will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth we confess and are saved. Confession with the mouth states what conviction has taken hold of in the heart. And confession must precede commitment because surrender precedes service. You need to stop trying to make another commitment to God of what you're going to do for Him before you confess what He's already done for you. And believe to receive. That's what Jacob Is doing here until you recognize God for who He is, you'll never fully acknowledge all that He's worthy of your whole life. But once you encounter this revelation of who God is and believe, you confess this He is worthy of my all. Not only was there a personal confession, but he set up a pillar of worship. He took the stone that he was using as a pillow, and it tells us that he set it up and he poured oil over it. You see, what Jacob was doing there was committing, if you will, to build a temple where God was be worshipping. He was committing his whole life where he had met with God to be a worshipper of God. That's what the oil tells us. He's anointing the place. But more than just a place, it is that which God... God has brought him into. Yes, he was committing to construct a a place for the worship of God because we know that in the Old Testament, God introduced the tabernacle and then ultimately the temple as the place for where he would meet. But he did that to teach and to instruct and to train us for the ultimate temple that he would inhabit. And that was the temple of our very lives. That's why Paul tells the Corinthians, you Christian are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you. The pillar of worship that Jacob is setting up is the heart of the one who confesses to believe by faith in Jesus Christ and receive his salvation. He says, you are God's temple because you are holy. When we trust God for salvation, he not only comes down to us, but he comes to live within us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the house that he is building for his honor, for his namesake, and for his glory. Is that the awareness of your own life and following God and trusting in Jesus that, that what's transpiring in you is a house of worship that God is building that the glory that the fame of His very name might be spread throughout the whole earth because He is in you and working through you. God inhabits the life of every Christian to build a life where the worthiness and the glory of His name are on display to the whole world. You say, but pastor, I'm, I'm not there yet. I, I don't... I'm not worthy of this. You're never going to be worthy of this, friends. This is the work of God. That's why it's a life-transforming response. When you confess, you set your life up, you bring the whole of your being under the authority of Jesus Christ and His Lordship, and you sing simply to Him, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter. I am the clay. Make me and mold me according to your will. Have you settled this in your heart? Or are there areas of your life that you've held out from under Jesus' Lordship? Trying to appease him. Trying to play Esau. But by the Spirit of God speaking to you today, it's time To set the whole of your life up as a pillar. By the anointing of the Spirit of God, let him inhabit you today. There is also a portion in this commitment that honors God in all. It tells us at the end, he commits to give a tenth of all God gives him to honor God as the source of all. You see, that portion in the Bible, the tenth or the tithe, is the biblical portion that represents the whole to honor God. And we honor Jesus in our life when we live as faithful stewards of our life because we recognize what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 at the end. You are not your own, you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Christian, the greatest confession of our life is I am not my own. (laughs) Praise God, I'm his and he is mine. The greatest joy of life is to give up so that we can take in all that is him. Have you come to that place yet? We live to honor Jesus As a faithful steward, when we give him a portion that represents this, God, you don't own a part of me. I am all yours. I am all yours. Listen to me, friends. No confession can be made before conviction of belief takes hold in the heart. And no confession is complete until that commitment has been made that rightly reflects the one to whom we honor with our whole life. The way we live our life reveals whose we are. We're either honoring God because the portion we give to Him represents our whole, or we're honoring self. And God may be included in self-honor. He's just not ultimate. Are you honoring God with your whole life? You say, well, why did Jacob do that? Why should I do that? Because Jacob said, The Lord is in this place. How awesome is he? You know what, friends? I recognize this. One of the main reasons we miss the overwhelming awe of God in our life is because we don't honor him in a way that he is worthy of. We honor him in a way that we calculate to be sufficient for us. And when we do that, we've subtracted everything in addition to that that he wants to give to us. From being able to give it to us. We've said this is how much of God I want. And we try to manage God. But what we've done is we've managed self. To make us God. And until you say it's all yours God. It's all yours. And make a commitment that rightly reflects the salvation that he has given to you. You are my all. God will always seem to fall short for you. The all that you get from him will be a zinger every now and then. But it won't pervade your whole being. You won't be overwhelmed with God being in this place. You'll get your vitamin. But you won't ever get healed. Why? Because you're playing with God. You're negotiating. You're esauing. And what he's calling you to today is just trust and believe. Let's pray.